Hi, friends. It's Vin Scully. It's time for Dr. Clapper. In sports, there's winning and losing and getting injured. That's why there's Dr. Clapper. Dr. Clapper is the former head of orthopedic surgery at Cedar sinai The Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper, presented by Cedar sinai Hey, Dr. Clapper. How are you? Saturday mornings from 7 to 9. Silence is golden when you can't think of a good answer. <laughs> yes, Doc, I love your show. Now, here he is, Dr. Robert Clapper. Good morning, Los Angeles, and welcome to another edition of the Weekend Warriors Show. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Clapper. I'm an orthopedic surgeon at Cedar sinai 32 years. Wow. It was so good to be back in the operating room to yesterday. I've been operating at a surgery center, but because of COVID, the big surgeries that I like to do, at the main hospital we've had to curtail because of covid but slowly but surely the numbers are coming down and i'm back in the operating room and it was such a pleasure to be back two hip replacements a ski injury an acl injury in the knee and a torn rotator cuff in a hard-working house painter what a pleasure so much fun to see all the people I usually work with in the operating room, the nurses, the techs, the anesthesiologists, it was just great. You know, in life, you don't know how much you love something until it's taken away. And it was really, I realized I've been in this, in the Cedars operating rooms, working like I did yesterday for more than half of my life. Dr. Clapper. That's just incredible thousands and thousands of surgeries but i've been put on this planet to be a doctor but i've also been put on this planet to be with you each and every saturday morning to talk about how the world of surgery the world of art and the world of sports come together so the biggest news is anthony davis and i'll get into clapper vision we'll go over what tendinosis means what the sprain to his muscle really means but it made me think all week about the blending of the gastroc muscle, which you can feel right underneath your skin if you feel your calf right now, but feel the width of your calf. What makes your calf wide is not the gastroc muscle. It's a muscle deeper called the soleus muscle. These two muscles blend together and form the Achilles tendon. I love that. And we can get into how this tendon rotates before it enters the heel bone, the calcaneus. But where else in the body is a muscle that fascinates me where it's two muscles, except they don't blend like the Achilles tendon. They're two separate muscles that form a single tendon, but they pretty much stay separate for their whole distance. Well, take a look at your elbow, take a look at the front of your arm and make a muscle. Right underneath that skin in your arm is the biceps tendon, the biceps brachii. And it allows you to flex your elbow, but it is also the most powerful muscle to rotate your forearm and wrist. So you can open a door, a doorknob, you can rotate it. 
you can use a screwdriver. That rotating your hand, palms up, the fancy word is called supination. You can remember it because it's like handing soup to somebody, only it's spelled differently. And when you go palms down, you rotate in the opposite di direction, that's called pronation. Well, the muscle that's responsible for powerfully allowing you to use a screwdriver and open a doorknob is your biceps uh, muscle, which is a powerful flexor of your elbow. But bi in Latin means two and sep means head. These two muscles work together. But very often, one of the two muscles ruptures the long head. It's a skinny long tendon. The other part of the muscle is the short head of the biceps, which never ruptures. And when the long head of the biceps ruptures, it wads itself up into a ball. You can tell from across the room, someone's torn their biceps muscle because it looks like Popeye. That's what we call it. It's a Popeye sign where the long head has ruptured. And in reality, when you look at statistics, data, you don't have to fix it. You just have a cosmetic deformity. It looks like Popeye, but you're just as strong. You can bend your elbow with the, the same amount of strength. You can open a door and use a screwdriver with the same amount of, of strength. Well, then why would you do surgery to fix it? Because people don't like the way it looks. And so I've fixed biceps tendon ruptures, the long head, strictly for that reason. Mostly, I try to talk people out of having that surgery because you don't lose anything. So it made me think all week, where in my life does I believe the world of art, the world of sports, the world of surgery are the same? Where do we see the story of the power of a duo, two muscles? And what happens when one of the two leaves? Will you tear the tendon of the long head of the biceps? What happens to that muscle? Seems to stay okay, it just looks funny. But where in art, where in sports do we see this story? Well, for me, it was the story of Kobe and Shaq. And in a minute, Steve Paulette's gonna play us sound bites of an interview Shaquille O'Neal had with Kobe. When Kobe says, how did you feel when I won that fifth ring? And God bless Shaquille O'Neal for telling the truth. He didn't say, ah, it didn't bother me. No, he told the truth. He said, I tore my house apart. And you know what Kobe said? He said, that makes me feel so happy. <laughs> they were a dynamic duo, but they were a lot like the biceps tendon. They were two separate muscles that remained separate. They didn't blend like the Achilles tendon does from the gastroc and soleus muscles. They stayed like the biceps. And what about in art? Well, the movie critics, really the guys who set the tone, created the genre, thumbs up, thumbs down for a movie, were Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert. And they did it for 24 years until Gene Siskel at age 53 died of a brain tumor. Larry King interviewed Roger Ebert after Gene Siskel died and said, so what are you going to do now? And Roger Ebert says, I'm still going to call it Siskel and Ebert. 
and just have guest hosts because he felt the blend of the two, the power in the duo. You could have a new host take Gene Siskel's place, but guess what? In his mind, you could never replace how the two of them functioned. It's a fascinating story, and you're going to hear those sound bites coming up. Clapper Vision will get into that Achilles tendon. We're going to get into the biceps tendon. My guest at 815 is the team doctor for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Kevin Kaplan's going to call in from Florida at 815 because he's an expert in the world of the biceps tendon and how to operate on it and fix it. And I got his name from the great brain stone from Arthrex, another Arthrex surgeon that I love talking to here and sharing their wisdom with you. And at 8.15, don't miss it because we'll get into this beautiful anatomy of a muscle that can tear and yet you don't miss it. Then why did we get that muscle? I mean, I just cannot wait to ask Kevin Kaplan, Dr. Kevin Kaplan, all those questions. But let's, Steve Pallet, let's get right into it. Let's go to the interview. How and when did Kobe first meet Shaquille O'Neal? Let's set the tone of the biceps in the world of sports. Number one. What most people don't know is our story goes back when I met you um, in Orlando. In Orlando. Right. You guys had, were playing the Pacers in the playoffs in 94. And I came to a game, and you know, Penny back then was my role model. And, you know, I looked up to him quite a bit. Asked to take a picture with him, he kind of brushed me off. I remember that. Yeah. And I came to you, asked to take a picture, and you were like, yeah, come here, young fella. Yeah, where you from? You know. I remember that. And uh, that's when, the first time I met you. Did you hear how Kobe said we were playing Orlando? He wasn't on the team yet. It was 1994. He's still in high school. But he still said we, because he's been a Laker in his mind his whole life. Listen to Shaq's response remembering the first time he met Kobe. Number two. I was in Atlanta, still with the Orlando Magic. Uh, we get a call from, from Jerry West and my agent. 2 a.m., me and Jerome, we out of the club. Jerry West says, I got what you want. At that time, I was asked for 150. I knew I wasn't going to get 150, but Jerry got me 120. So he called me up to the room, and he put the piece of paper on the thing. And before I could sign, he stopped me. He said, let me tell you something. I just acquired this kid from Charlotte. You and him are going to get about three or four championships. I was like, who are you talking about? He said, Kobe Brown. I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> he just cared about his contract. Two separate muscles. The short head, wide, fat, big. Although in those days, Shaq was not. He was seven foot one, solid muscle. But the skinny little kid, for sure was Kobe Bryant, like the long head of the biceps. Number three. One thing what I loved about you as an 18-year-old is, is you wanted it. A lot of guys on our team didn't want it, but right. you wanted it at, at a 18-year-old. And that's why in the Utah game, everybody talks about those air balls. I wasn't mad at you. Look at Kobe Bryant for three, another air ball. He shoots back-to-back air balls, jazz basketball. And that's why I was the first one to come grab you and say, hey, I know everybody's laughing and giggling out, but one day people will fear you mm -hmm. at the end of the game. So mm -hmm. I knew that about you as an 18-year-old. You know, it was, it was fun. Just like the biceps tendon, two muscles. Now listen to Kobe, one of the muscles, trying to figure out how he's going to work together with that other muscle to be one, to be Lakers together 
Kobe remembering seeing Shaq, how he used intimidation, even in their own practices. That poor Travis Knight, number five, I remember seeing them at the time. But listen to how the blend of the two muscles is starting to happen. Number four. I remember the first practice we had Travis Knight on the team. And uh, I mean, he proceeded to just annihilate this kid. And, you know, just from everything, from talking trash to him to, you know, he was afraid to get on the bus. And um, one thing that I noticed about you from the jump was that you didn't respect people that you could bully. You didn't respect them. And you'd test them. And you'd see what they let you get away with. And you'd see if they would fold to that. And uh, that was the first thing I observed about you and uh, that competitive fire that you had. And then it all started making sense to me. Now listen to how Kobe says they were eating at a Jerry's Deli together. Kobe's brand new to the team, a young rookie. Shaq is a seasoned veteran. How are these two muscles going to learn to blend, to work together? This is a beautiful story in Kobe's own words. Number five. That's how I see him play with that rage when it comes out. And that's how I see guys, when he plays, they back away from him because they're afraid of him. They're afraid of that that confrontation, that physicality. And uh, and then I remember you taking me down to Jerry's Deli. Back in the day, we had the big, big flip phones, you know what I mean? <laughs> I didn't have one, though. You had one, you put it. I said, man, I didn't get one of those, man. That's pretty damn cool. And you had the, you know, the big joint and just hanging out with you, man. And uh, you showed me the ropes from day one. Mm. And the blended self. Listen to Shaq tell you his favorite Kobe moment as the two started to blend and work together. We're going back to the 2000, 21 years ago, the 2000 NBA Finals that play in Reggie Miller and the Indianapolis Pacers, Indiana Pacers, number eight. My favorite Kobe moment is in the finals in Indiana. I file out. Rose's 20-foot jumper, no good rebound, should be Shaq. Smith's got it, loose ball foul, Shaq is out of the game. I'm like, damn, I let the team down again. And you and you put your and you put your hand on my shoulder and said, "Don't worry, big fella, mm -hmm. I got it." Mm -hmm. And you just and you took over. Kobe fires the jumper and gives LA the lead. Shaw running one-hander, fouled in by Kobe Bryant. Well, you can just feel the tension in this building. Just like the biceps muscle, two separate muscles working as one. Well, Shaq has fouled out. The long head of the biceps has torn, but the short head of the biceps will take over and still allow you to flex your elbow and rotate your forearm. Number nine. I always knew you was a bad cat, but that moment right there, because you had no fear. I, I was like, well, you know, I, I knew how much it meant to you, right? And I, as brothers, you don't let your you don't let your brother down, right? It wasn't my time yet. This championship was yours, right? Because you had worked hard to get us to this point. Right, for your whole career in Orlando and all the disappointments, and here you are. And it's my responsibility to pick that up. Hmm. And here's the separate, the separate muscles working as one, but here it is, the separate muscles, number 11. One thing I, I know I got, I know I got a guy that's going to be ready. Mm -hmm. So I met a lot of times I didn't come into camp ready, because that's just how I got done. Because my thing is, I don't need to get ready for Duncan. Right. I don't need to get ready for, I don't need to get ready. I'll get ready when I get ready. So. Because I had you, 
I was able to just chill out in the summer. Do what yeah, I do. Yeah, see, that's what yeah. that's what pissed me off. <laughs> yeah, that, that was it right there. Hey, that, that was. <laughs> Listen, I got beat up. I got hack and shack. I was tired, man. <laughs> I ain't doing no work. I'm going home. I'm swimming. Me and Uncle Jerome, we sipping pina coladas. We eating burgers. My ass is <laughs> in the gym ten hours got, a day. <laughs> one thing I know, I got I got a kid that's gonna give me forty whenever yeah. he wants to. These next two sound bites show the love that Shaq really had for Kobe. Because as I said, he could easily say when you got that fifth ring, eh, it didn't bother me. But he admits the truth because he knew it would make Kobe feel better to hear it. This is what's so special about the power of a duo when it works. Number 12. Do you think I was pissed when you got number five? Of course you were. Oh, no doubt. I told my house. No doubt. I bet you did. No, I went crazy. (laughs) Because when I got four, you got four. I was like, hey, I got four. He got four. That's straight. When you got that fifth one. And then, hold on. You said, I just wanted to get one more. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) TVs. I said, you know what? There ain't nothing you can do about it either. We know what it means as a team. But what about individually for you? He's got one more to Shaq. So you can take that to the bank. You say Vince Scully's call of Kirk Gibson's home run was the greatest sport moment in L.A.? Nah. The greatest sport moment in L.A., and we love Vince Scully. But it was when Jim Hill, the great Jim Hill, asked Kobe, what does this mean? And he said, I got one more than Shaq. But this is the beautiful part of those two muscles working together. Separate, but powerful. It's almost like one plus one equals three. Number 13. A couple of days later, I said, I ain't gonna be able to get five. I'm 38, hips bad, knees bad. I just got a call from Steve Kerr. They trading me to, to Cleveland. Cleveland traded me to Boston. I'm like, it might be over. So this is something that I have to live with, that Kobe has five <laughs> and Shaq has four. So I got to live with that all my life. That brings me so much <laughs> joy. <laughs> that brings me so much joy. That's the gift Shaquille O'Neal gave the young fella. Ah, such a beautiful story. The power of a duo. But what happens when one of them tears, when one of them leaves? In the world of art, you're going to hear it. The movie critics, Siskel and Ebert, and Siskel passed away. I'll get into it coming up next on the Weekend Warriors Show here on 710 ESPN. Holy emoji, clap man. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Holy slip disc. That's right, Robin. Hear listeners talk about their aches and pains. Holy hamstrings. Along with Doc's clapper vision. Breathe deeply. And advice to callers. On your toes, Robin. So like, follow, and enjoy. A wise decision. The Weekend Wear Facebook page. Frankly, I can think of nothing more stimulating. It's John Ireland. You know there is no better way to start your Saturday than with the man who replaced Michael Thompson's hip. Dr. Clapper and the Weekend Warrior Show, 7 to 9 a.m. Saturday mornings. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. Magandan Umaga. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Cells are just tiny people. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710 
home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. I hate to interrupt those guys because they're just so beautiful when you listen to them singing. Two voices blending as one. One guy writing the songs, one guy singing the songs. Like the biceps, brachii muscle. It flexes your elbow, rotates your forearm. But it, it blends to become one tendon. But if you tease it out, which is what you do in the anatomy lab, you'll see that the two muscles actually remain separate for their entirety. That's different than Anthony Davis's Achilles. The gastroc muscle in your calf and the soleus muscle deeper to the gastroc muscle in your calf fuse together, together to form the Achilles tendon. They don't stay as separate muscles. They actually blend as one. Fascinating subject when a duo has power beyond just two. But today's topic is about, well, what happens when one of the two leaves? You tear the long head of your biceps muscle in your arm. It looks funny. It looks like Popeye, but you can get away with it. You don't lose power. You don't lose function. And at 815, we'll get into the surgery, the anatomy behind the biceps tendon. But when a duo has power and one leaves in the world of art, it's interesting. So the movie critics, Gene Siskel, Roger Ebert, two big names in the movie business in Chicago, competing newspapers, the Sun-Times and the Tribune. All of a sudden, one day, they did a TV show together and they saw the chemistry, they saw the magic of the two of them looking at the same movie with different eyes. They could fight, but they could blend together. And they did this for 24 years until one day, because of cancer, Gene Siskel died. Listen to Larry King, who also just passed away, talking to Roger Ebert on the day that Gene Siskel passed away. And Larry King says, what are you going to do now? You're Shaq and Kobe. You're Siskel and Ebert. You're the biceps muscle. And the long head just ruptured. Are you going to keep going? Can you keep going? Listen to Roger Ebert respond. Let's go to number one. And even on our last show, which we did just three weeks ago, uh, he came to play. He came to, mm. uh, uh, to be a film critic. And to be feisty and to take you on. At one point, something went a little bit wrong, and the director said, can you do that again? And Gene said, I'll do it 40 more times if you want me to. He had a wonderful spirit, and I think that it was an inspiration to me that for the last... Uh, eight or nine months he continued to do the show and to do his print work and his other jobs uh, just as if he wasn't sick mm, number two i hoped that he would come back i had my fears because i could see that he was weakening uh but i i never believed that this news would come so quickly uh with such a crushing blow i i wanted to believe that he would be back because we worked together for 24 years and it was a relationship 
uh, that became very important, and it really was a working relationship. We, we had all kinds of little vibes that we shared with each other, Larry. We kind of knew when the other guy was going to stop talking, or uh, there was a verbal shorthand. Uh, we had been through so many movies together and so many experiences together uh, that we could read each other's minds sometimes. They were like two muscles blended together, except now one of them was gone. You'll hear Larry King say, some things are not replaceable. Let's go to number three. Some things uh, in life are not replaceable. What does Roger Ebert do? Well, I'll tell you one thing. I know that Gene Siskel would agree with me on this, that the show is worth doing because it's just about the only serious film criticism on a national weekly basis. Uh, so much of television has switched over to celebrity coverage and gossip. Number four. Who won the weekend? Uh, who's getting divorced? How much money are they being paid? And we just look at the movies and say whether we think they're worth seeing or not. And that's worth doing. So we're going to have a group of film critics come in on a revolving basis uh, for a week or two. Our first uh, uh, substitute was uh, Tom Shales of the Washington Post. And we're going to continue uh, to carry on and hope that the show uh, will continue to perform the same function that it has. I think Gene would want us to do that. And I'm going to ask the surgeon, Dr. Kevin Kaplan, how do you replace the torn biceps? How do you replace, how do you fix surgically when one member of the duo is gone? Listen to the struggle of Roger Ebert of bringing other people on. He's essentially doing surgery of his show because the long head of the biceps ruptured. Number five. And so you'll be using others. Is this a search for a co-host? We, we aren't treating it that way. Uh, we may just never, ever replace Gene. We may have a revolving group of people for a long time. Ebert and company? Well, <laughs> what will we call uh, it? I don't know. I think for the rest of the season, we're going to call it Siskel and Ebert with a guest host. I think that's, that's the way we'll handle that. And then we'll cross other bridges as we get to them. How did it all start with these two guys? Number six. It started out as a professional competition, so ferocious that for the first six years that we were working across the street from each other on Chicago newspapers, we hardly had a single conversation. The last competitive length. newspaper town in America, and you two you were the bet. competing critics. The Sun-Times versus the Tribune. Yeah. Then we were put together on this show, and for a long time, I think we, we fought it out on the show before we suddenly realized, hey, we're doing this show together. This is something we're building together, and from then on, it became an altogether different ballgame, although we were still very worked up sometimes about our disagreements. I respected him. He was a very smart man. He was rigorously honest. Uh, he had very high standards. The duo became powerful, Siskel and Ebert. It took time, but eventually they worked together in such concert they could complete each other's sentences. They knew what the other guy would say. Sometimes they didn't agree, but they worked together out of respect. Number seven. I really admired uh, Tom Shales for how well he was able to adapt to our format and figure it out. It's a complicated show. It took Gene and I a while to figure out when to talk, when to listen, when to turn to the camera. We were newspaper guys. We had no idea what we were doing in a television studio. And um, Tom was a real quick student, and I hope that we're going to have good luck with our other guest hosts. I just want you to listen to a typical review. Let's go back to 1977. Saturday Night Fever. You'll listen to how two different muscles trying to blend 
it almost sounds like Roger Ebert's doing all of the talking. And this is a fabulous scene of John Travolta at the dinner table with his poofy hair because he's going to go out dancing in the disco. He's got a nice nylon, probably Huckapoo shirt. I had one of those. And he's eating spaghetti because he's Italian. And you don't want to get spaghetti sauce on your shirt. They're sitting around the table and they're pure Italians start hitting each other. It's a fabulous review, the depth. And I just love hearing these two separate muscles review the same movie, which by the way, they both love. Number eight. Going only by the title, you might think that a movie called Saturday Night Fever starring John Travolta as the king of the disco dancers would turn out like a shotgun marriage between an old Elvis Presley flick and Welcome Back Cotter. But it doesn't. In fact, it's one of the best movies of the season, a real sleeper and a big surprise. Travolta turns in a great performance as a tough Brooklyn hardware clerk who doesn't get along very well, to say the least, with his family. Next. To say the least with his family. You wouldn't worry about a job. Yeah. Every time you mention Frank Jr., you gotta cross yourself. He's a priest, ain't he? Father Frank Jr., your brother. Hey, your mother doesn't have too much to cross herself about these days. You're so jealous of Frank Jr. Oh, shut up, will you? Hey. What are you doing? Hey, sure, watch. <laughs> so stupid. Okay. Fast, fast. Manja, manja. Yeah, go ahead. Eat, eat. I got more pork chops, more spaghetti. What do you mean, you got more pork chops? He doesn't like it when his father hit him in the head. Number 10. We just wash the hair. Yeah. You know, I work on my hair a long time, and you, and you hit it. He hits my hair. It's a real drag still living at home. Travolta has that bedsheet around his neck to keep his disco shirt uh, free of spaghetti sauce. He really hates it when his father hits his hair, but he has another world to escape to, the world of his dancing. Do, do you know the, uh, the tango hustle? Uh, yeah, yeah. Here, let's try that. As a viewer, you couldn't wait to hear, what does Gene Siskel think? Listen to Gene Siskel talk about the same scene, the same movie, number 11. Oh, it's a very entertaining picture, and I think when I see a picture like this, I realize, hey, it isn't that tough to make a good movie. It's got, all it has to have is stuff that's real, that dinner table scene. It's a little broad with the hitting going around in the circle, but that kind of thing does happen, and the dancing. All they did is capture a world that we haven't seen before. They go into this disco and you find out that somebody really gets off on dancing. It's a very real kind of picture, and I like it just for that. Hmm. Just to hear how they blend. Let's do another soundbite of them blending, this time about the Shawshank Redemption. Let's go to number 13. Well, I think I like this picture even more than you. I think it's one of the year's best films, and the picture that it reminds me of the most, it should be really obvious, is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. No, uh, this is, is This is a picture mm -hmm. that, if, if it, this is a prison picture to the extent that that's a hospital picture. They're mm -hmm. both the same thing. Mm -hmm. People caught up in the system, people uh, dealing with uh, mental imprisonment, physical imprisonment, mm -hmm. how to get released from both. Uh, the look of this picture is magnificent. The span of years is great. The relationship mm -hmm. between these two characters, everything works. It's a first directing job by a guy, I think I can pronounce his name, Frank Darabont. Mm -hmm. uh, and he does a really good job here. Now you'll hear 
the two muscles, both Siskel and Ebert speaking about the same movie, the power in the duo, which is what made it so special, which is so tragic when one of them leaves, that Gene Siskel did pass away at 53. But listen to the both of them tackling this movie together. Finally, number 14. Well, I, I agree with uh, that. I think it's, it's, it's an interesting film and a very moving film. And the yes. neat thing is, it's very rare that we see a friendship that develops slowly, slowly. over decades. I love that. Until about at the, the film. end, when we get to the payoff of the film, we understand exactly what has happened. And that ending in a more trivial film might have seemed more like a formula, but in this film, it really seems oh, like an emotional you know, payoff. You think you've seen, you know, again, the, the, the notion that it's a prison picture, uh, that might turn some people off. That, that isn't what this film is all about. That's no, just no. the location. And good writing all the way courage, through. It's about courage. It's about heart. Oh, and I think it's a wonderful picture. They each complete each other's sentences. The duo, the power in art, in sports with Shaq and Kobe, in surgery, your Achilles tendon, two separate muscles blending as one. But in your arm is the biceps tendon. There's two muscles there, and they're powerful together. They come together as a single tendon, but those two muscle bellies stay separate. And when you tear one, do you fix it or do you not fix it? It's a fascinating subject, the power of the duo when one of them leaves. Coming up next, the clinic will be open. The number is 877-710-ESPN. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping And the vision that was planted in my brain Still remains within the sound of silence. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Didn't you get the memo? Quickly hear Clapper's crazy kitchen stories. Easily find different callers' aches and pain issues. Right, I get it. Search Weekend Warrior in the search bar and click on Doc's picture. Who are you again? Voila! Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. You're listening to the Weekend Warrior Show, presented by Cedar Sinai. What's going on, LA? This is Kobe Bryant. All right. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. I have a Beatles wig on. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. Saturday Night Fever, reviewed by Siskel and Ebert. They both loved it. And so did I. John Travolta. The Bee Gees. Fabulous. All right, back in the operating room. It's so exciting for me. The number is 877-710-ESPN. But just like Dr. Ranawat talking, the eyes don't see what the mind doesn't know. I have a 1963 Corvette. Stingray, convertible. During midlife crisis number 417, 23 years ago, I decided to get this car. And I just love riding it and lifting the hood up. The problem is I have no idea what I'm looking at 
the eyes don't see what the mind doesn't know. I can open up your shoulder, your knee, your ankle, your hip, your body, and know where every artery, nerve, blood vessel, tendon, joint is supposed to be. Because the eyes don't see what the mind doesn't know. This is something I know. But when I lift up the hood of my 63 Corvette, I see an engine. I think I see the distributor cap and the air filter and the engine and lots of pipes, lots of hoses, lots of belts. But I had a moment where I had a Dr. Ranawat take me through what I was looking at. And he's my, one of my surfing buddies, Russ Mukai, who taught auto shop for 30 plus years in North Hollywood. And so I called him, I said, Russ, first introduce me to a mechanic who can help me take care of this car. I have no problems with it right now, but I need someone who knows what they're looking at can help me. So this past Wednesday, after surfing in Ventura, I met a master mechanic. His name is Bones, and he's in Camarillo. What a pleasure it was to meet a mechanic named Bones. I reminded Russ, you're actually introducing an orthopedic surgeon, me, to a mechanic whose name is Bones, which I thought was karma, kismet, it was supposed to be. But what was fascinating to me about my 63 Corvette with Russ standing over one side of the car and I'm standing over the other side looking at the engine. And I just love the lesson. Because on top of the engine, it's called the intake manifold. And this engine was made in 1963 in Flint, Michigan, when things were made in America. There are two holes in the top of the engine that I'm saying to myself, okay, probably there were bolts there. They fell out after all these years. Should I fill in the hole? Should I put a bolt in there? That was my first lesson with Russ. I said, Russ, what are these two holes doing on top of the engine in the intake manifold? Should I get nuts and bolts to fill in the two holes? Looks like something's missing. And he said, because he knows what he's looking at, no, Robbie, those two holes are okay to be there. You don't have to fill them in. I said to him, then why are they there? Why would you put two drill holes in the top of the intake manifold for bolts and yet not put a bolt there? He said, because you have to remember, this Chevy 327 engine is the same engine they put in the Camaro, that they put in the Chevy truck in 1963. So as it comes off the assembly line, line, they're making one intake manifold for this engine, but this engine is gonna go into different cars. And the distributor cap and the distributor is mounted in the Camaro, in the truck, off of this part of the engine, so they need the bolts there. But look, your Corvette, there are other, these two other holes where your distributor mounts, not this area. So don't fill them in. They're supposed to be there. It's just you don't need them for a Corvette, you would for the Camaro. And I gotta tell you, it was like a warm, fuzzy feeling to have someone explain this to me. Then he looks at me and he says, look at this engine. Like I'm looking at someone's hip or someone's knee. 
and just appreciating the majesty of the sculpture of the anatomy itself and the geometry of how the ball perfectly fits in the socket or whatever joint I'm looking at. He says to me, you know, this is a V8 engine. I said, yes, I know there's eight cylinders, four on either side. He says, but look carefully. You'll see that it's not perfectly symmetrical. Yes, there's four on one side, four on the other, but they're actually offset. They're not symmetrically lined up. And then I looked, and he's right. He says, you know why? Because they can't be lined up side by side perfectly. They have to be offset a little bit because that's how the engine works. When the piston fires through the cylinder because of the spark plug and the combustion and the explosion of the spark plug and the gas, to rotate the, the wheel, the drive shaft that ultimately puts energy to the wheels that drives the car, that moves it forward, you need what's known as a crankshaft which is in the bottom part of the engine. The cylinders have to be offset to drive the, the crankshaft. So if you look carefully, you'll see that the cylinders are actually offset. Like, oh, you don't know what you're looking at until someone explains it to you. It's like last week having Claire Cunney explain to us what we're looking at in a painting. The eyes truly don't see what the mind doesn't know. And then I said to him, you know, Russ, the reason I'm calling you is when I step on the gas pedal, it feels a little stiff to me. Maybe you'll bring some grease and we'll open up the hood and the gas pedal, the drive shaft, whatever you call that rod that accelerates the car. I'm sure there's some joints that need to be lubricated after 60, 1963, 60 years. And he said, Okay, I'll bring some grease. So we lift the hood up. He greases a few of these joints. He said, but if you're complaining that it's sticky when you press on the gas pedal, sit in the car and peel back the rubber gas pedal. I'm figuring there's going to be a joint there to lubricate. Guess what I found? There's no joint there. There literally is the end of the metal rod that drives the accelerator that goes into goes through the wall in the bottom of the car into the engine. It just sticks up as a rod, which is highly polished. There's no joint. The rubber of the gas pedal literally rubs freely on this protruding rod from the engine, the accelerator. It's highly polished, so it won't tear up the rubber, but it just glides on the, the back of the rubber. So we put some grease on that prominent metal rod well, thank you. It didn't stick anymore like it had been. Can you imagine how simple life was in 1963, where to accelerate your car was literally pushing with your foot on a metal rod that was polished, that rubs on the back of a rubber pedal? That's what life was like. As you listen to me on your computer or your iPhone, think about what technology was in 1963 compared to that. It's incredible. Hello there. Learning in general, which is what I try to do each Saturday, teach you about anatomy and surgery, and take you into the operating room and take you into a visit with a patient who tells me, it hurts when I lift my arm this way, but not this way. 
And I know exactly the reason. It's a difference between your biceps tendon and your rotator cuff. You've torn your labrum. All these different things that happen. How many patients I see who have pain and limited motion in their shoulder and everybody, every one of their friends has told them it's your rotator cuff. And guess what? It's not. You've worn out your cartilage. You need a shoulder replacement, not an arthroscopy. That's the beauty of the eyes don't see what the mind doesn't know. It's a fascinating subject. Coming up next, I want to tell you a story about surfing this week and also a discovery in food that involves shrimp tacos. Coming up next on the Weekend Warriors Show here on 710 ESPN. Get smart. Just what are you getting at? Check out the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Like this. Medical advice from Cedar Sinai, head of orthopedic surgery. Are you kidding? With a far rockaway attitude and a little drizzle of mozzarella. Well, it's important to me. Search Weekend Warrior in the space bar. Like this. And click on Doc's picture. I see. Like, follow, and enjoy the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. This is Keyshawn in the morning. My man, Dr. Clapper, and the Weekend Warrior Show starts your Saturday morning. Join the doc from 7 to 9 a.m. What's going on, L.A.? This is Kobe Bryant. I grew up with Fritos corn chips. That was the extent of my Mexican food. Start your weekend off right, listening to the Weekend Warrior Show with Dr. Clapper. Mm, they were good, though. Every Saturday morning from 7 to 9 a.m. on ESPN, 710, home of your Los Angeles Lakers. The beat goes on. Welcome back, Weekend Warriors. That's a dynamic duo right there, Steve Paulette, Sonny and Cher. Until until due to a ski accident, hitting his head on a tree, we lost Sonny Bono. You're right. The power of those two changed America. It's awesome. The number is 877-710-ESPN. This week, I had the opportunity to go surfing on two days, Monday and Wednesday. And Monday I went, got my wetsuit on, freezing cold. Whew, is it cold? But I'm committed. Got my board out of the truck, went down the staircase, and pushed my board into the water. The waves were stormy wind was whipping them up and i looked out on the horizon and there was no let up one after another crashing all different directions better known as a windswell but these waves were coming from way out on the horizon big and powerful but this particular day monday the current the riptide was immense But, you know how much I love to surf, so I pushed my board in the water. And immediately, I got hit on the head by one wave after another. And as I'm trying to go and penetrate through the wave, I'm going sideways because the current is so strong. There's no let up. There's no break. It's not like the wave peels like a machine and lets you ride it pound and pound and pound 
And I'm in the water drifting fast, closer to the pier, which will be dangerous. I realize this is just going to be a slugfest. And don't be a big shot. Because if you get separated from your board, you could drown. So after about 10 minutes, I waved the white flag. I said to the mother ocean, okay, you win. Today is not a good day to die. And I put my tail between my legs and I let a powerful wave clobber me on the head and push me to the shore. I picked up my surfboard and walked out near the pier, got back into my truck and rode home. Dejected, felt terrible. Dr. Clapper. And I went home and I went on YouTube because I'd been hearing about this Hawaiian surfer from Maui, young kid named Kai Lenny, K-A-I Lenny, who is the most masterful big wave rider currently. He's going to Portugal, riding this biggest wave in the world called Nazare. He, he goes to Mavericks in Northern California, and he has conquered the biggest wave in Hawaii called Jaws off of Maui, where he's from. Literally, it's outside his front door. And I watched this incredible show of him riding these massive waves. He's so confident that as he's coming down the face of a 100-foot wave, he's like a skateboarder. He jumps. He literally jumps with the board and is flipping around on a wave that you literally, your heart is coming out of your chest as you watch him ride this wave. He leaves his feet and then lands back again on the board like a skateboarder, except it's on a wave that's 100 feet and he's on a surfboard. Well, Wednesday, I had another chance to go surfing. Only this time, there was no riptide. There was no current. The wind had died down. And the time of day that I went was a window of an hour and a half that nobody else was in the water. Few people, but they weren't near me, weren't bothering me, weren't competing with me for the waves. And I got to paddle out and pick whatever wave I wanted. And they, a couple of them were over my head. And I gotta tell you, I did a Kai Lenny. I paddled, I saw this big bomb bluebird as Duke Hanamoku called it off on the horizon, coming closer to me. It's like an apartment building coming at me, a three-story apartment building. And I turned my board and I started to paddle. And I could just feel the hand of God tell me, okay, Robbie, you don't need to paddle anymore. I gotcha. I stood up on the wave, looking down from the roof of a three-story apartment building, it seemed like. And I took off down the face of the wave. And I said, you know what? I need more speed. I'm going to do what Kai Lenny does. And I jumped up like a skateboarder and landed again on my board, which immediately accelerated the board faster as I landed. It was one of the coolest feelings I've ever had surfing. I went from Monday being dejected, being rejected by Mother Nature and the ocean to Wednesday 
having one of the greatest days I've ever had in the water. So yeah, every day may not be the same. You may not get a hot fudge sundae today, but you may get one tomorrow. So you gotta hang in there. And I gotta talk about food. Speaking of hot fudge sundaes, because of quarantine and the restaurants and all the rest of it, I'm trying to eat better. I bought some shrimp. My wife and I got these giant shrimp at Gelson's. And I'm saying to myself, how am I going to eat these? What's the best way I love to eat shrimp? I'm going to make a shrimp taco. Never did that before. I'm Jewish from New York. We don't have shrimp tacos. But they're delicious. So I got the corn tortilla, heated it up. How am I going to prepare it? I know what shrimp scampi is with butter and garlic. So we looked it up on the computer. You want to make the best shrimp taco? Get that Lowry's taco spice that you would for ground beef. And put that with some oil on the shrimp, with some cabbage, and squeeze a lime and a slice of avocado. Here's the problem. Nobody told us not to cook the shrimp in the house because it was a delicious meal. Trust me on this. If I can do it, you can do it. But don't cook the shrimp inside the house because once you eat the shrimp taco, which takes all of five minutes to eat, here's the problem. Your house will stink from shrimp for the next two days. Hello, and dear. it's not a pleasant odor. The smart thing to do is to turn on the barbecue outside and cook the shrimp outside, and then you don't have to smell the damn things. So that is what I'm going to be doing in my next adventure with homemade shrimp tacos. Uh, the cabbage slaw, the slice of avocado, the lime, not a lemon, a lime to squeeze on top, and that Lowry's taco spices turns a boring shrimp into Gina Lola Brigida, whoever it is that you're remembering from the past. That's what happens when you put those spices on. Mm, my mouth is watering already. Coming up next, I'm going to tell some stories. I'm inspired by learning about Anthony Davis's Achilles and how those two muscles work, which led me to think about the biceps tendon which we'll get into at 8.15. But first, some stories in sports, in art, and in surgery, when a duo, two powerful muscles, work together until one of them is damaged. I'll explain more coming up next on the Weekend Warriors Show here on 710 ESPN. The Charleston was once the rage It's good to be king, right, King James? Absolutely. And good to be courtly friends on the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. I love it. Be treated like medical royalty with Clapper Vision. Feast like a monarch on Doc's delectable finds. There we go. And that far rockaway jester humor. <laughs> Search Weekend Warrior and click on Doc's regal picture. Cool. <laughs> Sound the trumpets. No cortisone, alchemy, or leeches here. Everything's good. Bow, curtsy, like, or follow the Weekend Warrior Facebook page. That makes me happy. Cheers.